Emily Fletcher is the founder of Ziva Meditation, a meditation practice that has absolutely revolutionized my relationship to meditation. But perhaps more interestingly, in her recent years, she has been diving deep into sex magic practices and recently took my goddess of a wife, Vailana, through a week-long intensive. And we talk about many of these different practices and how we can reclaim sexuality as a cleansing and purifying and manifestation building act in service of our highest good and the good of the collective. Enjoy this podcast with Emily Fletcher. Before we get started, a word from our sponsors. What's up, podcast family? So I'm excited to announce today that we have a new premium podcast channel on Supercast. It's going to be no commercials. We're going to put a bunch of special goodies in there. But really, the reason to join is that that's supporting the podcast. It's supporting our ability to produce extremely high-quality content, to fly out the guests that we need to fly out, and have the important conversations that we need to have. There's all kinds of ideas that we have about how to make the premium podcast even more special. The world needs it. The world needs a lot of interesting conversations about a lot of interesting topics, and I'm just going to do my best to fill that need. So if you're interested in supporting myself and the team, head to aubreymarcuspodcast.supercast.com or click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, everybody. I love doing this. This is one of the favorite things in my entire life to do. So thank you for your support, and thank you for your love. aubreymarcuspodcast.supercast.com Com. Next up, we have Inside Tracker. So, as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization. And so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification. Sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on. And to do that, you need some support. And one of the best services to come about is called Inside Tracker. Our good friend Andrew Huberman backs them and supports them. They really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work, but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science-backed recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke advice and can be really valuable. So if you're interested, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash AMP. Once again, insidetracker.com slash AMP for 25% off. And lastly, we have Onnit. Now, everybody's heard me talk about Onnit. Why? Because I created Onnit largely as a solution to everything that I've wanted to have available for my own life. So it's just expanding the toolbox of all of the tools that are available. I actually had somebody ask me recently, they're saying, what do you do with all of the different supplements and biohacking techniques and everything that you're aware of? How do you fit it all in? And my explanation was really, look, I've spent the time to get familiar with all of the different tools, all of the different supplements, all of the foods, all of the practices. And I don't do everything every single day. That would be crazy. 
but I know which tool to apply to which situation to bring out the total human optimization that I'm looking for in that given moment. So that's how I do it. And on it is a huge indelible part of this process for me. And I know it will be for you. So check out everything we have on it.com slash Aubrey for 10% off always. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Emily Fletcher. Emily. Aubrey. Wow. Whoa. We got a lot to talk about. We have a lot of ground to cover. So we, of course, met a while ago. We did a podcast, talked a little bit about your book, talked a little bit about meditation. It was still somewhat theoretical at that point, even though I dabbled a little bit, looked at a little bit of what Ziva was about. But we've been in a week-long intensive where you've been coaching myself and Vailana not just on meditation, although I want to talk about meditation because it's been fucking profound. <laughs> and I had a clue. I had a clue that it would be profound, but I wasn't able to get in on the inside of the profundity. And the clue was is that I've known in Q, our dear friend Adam, we've known each other for a while, and he doesn't miss a meditation. He calls doesn't, himself my, my number one student, number yes, one Ziva student. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter when. Doesn't, he'll just go in and he'll be like, see you in 30 minutes, bro. You know, And he's like, he's in it. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable for him in the morning and in the afternoon. I don't catch his morning. We don't sleep together, but. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> for the whole world. <laughs> Except for me and Adam, who right, have fair. no interest in But that. the rest of us would be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially some poetry would come out of that. Uh, so that was a good clue. And he's talked about how profound that's been for him. And then I talked to Kyle, who went through the live version, which is what we did actually with this week-long intensive and he said it was one of the top three most profound and important things he's ever done and i was like whoa i mean kyle's like my best dude and you know he's my homie and he's done a lot of profound he's done things. a lot of profound things we've been doing a lot of profound things together so i had an idea but that blew me away but this is just the appetizer course for what we've been doing because then we've gone into all kinds of really beautiful processing techniques that have helped support myself and Vailana and our relationship and the direction we're going. But really the juicy part was that you've come in as our sacred sexuality coach. And that's been mind blowing. And at some point we'll have to get Vailana's full experience receiving because she's been receiving a lot of your codes and a lot of your wisdom, but I've been there to witness and been a part woven through some of it. And for those of you who instantly go there, me, Vailana, and Emily are not just having sex with each other all day. <laughs> so sorry to disappoint if that's where your mind went and you thought that was going to be the story. Not the story. But nonetheless, it's been incredible. And this is something of a coming out for you because you haven't talked about this much. This is quite literally the first time I've spoken about any of this sacred sexuality work that I've been doing really intensely for the past year and a half. I remember you looked at me a few nights ago and you're like, wait, is this is this podcast going to be a coming out party? And everything in my body was like, ah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> scared and in the best way. So yeah. here we are. And for those of you who've listened to podcasts that we've done with Layla Martin, that's like, that's your homegirl. Yeah. That's like, you're Kyle. Yes. 
And it's new. Like I met Layla and my cosmic lover, Adam, on the same day, which have both been a huge initiation. And both of those humans have changed my life and changed the course of my life and hopefully potentially the world. <laughs> as it as it will go. And, and the world is a large place. But anytime you change one life, you do change the world as we're all interwoven and interconnected, of course. So you've already changed the world. Yeah, that's C- true. Congratulations. My world at least. Congratulations. <laughs> And that's enough. Yep. You're the ocean in a drop. <laughs> All right. So let's take this somewhat in order. Now having planted the seed that we're going to arrive into a thick, robust <laughs> discussion of sacred sexuality and all the practices. Yeah. But let's just talk about meditation for a second. Because I've been exposed to all kinds of meditations. But this week, my meditation has reached another fucking level. That's right. Like another level. And it's like, oh, I fucking get it. Yes, yes. I, I, get, I get, it. get it. I get it. <laughs> you know, this is, this is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. So let's go in again. And we don't need it. We've already told a lot of the story about it. But just get the, get the overview of what your type of meditation, the lineage that it comes from, and a little bit of the flavor of what it's about, and I'll share my experiences of what it's like to actually do it through my own language. Yeah, so what you're experiencing right now, like I thought I was doing meditation, like I thought I was meditating, but wait, now I get it. It's like you were drinking a glass of water and now you got in the ocean. Mm-hmm. This is why I can't stop talking about this. This is why I am—I even shout it from any rooftop that will have me. It's like, y'all, everybody's drinking glasses of water. I got the ocean for you. Like, let's or an aquifer because oceans aren't delicious to drink. Fair, fair. Nobody <laughs> wants to drink a salty ocean. Although I drank some of your like mineral stuff this morning, and I was Gene like, tones. It's a very special part of the ocean. <laughs> Still, you wouldn't want to drink too many, or you'll shit your pants. <laughs> well, hopefully not during this podcast. Nope. <laughs> um, but it's. What, what most people think of when they hear the word meditation is, well, which free app are you doing? And they think, oh, I got to clear my mind. And so then they, they download apps and then the app is sort of thinking for them or moving their mind for them or keeping them in the, in the left brain realm of thinking where they're focusing. Whereas Ziva is all about surrendering. Ziva is all about letting go. It's all about giving your body deep healing rest. And when you give your body that rest, it knows how to heal itself. And where I find that the magic happens is that you're not just healing the rest from today, you're healing all that stress stored in your body. And that can create a pretty powerful detoxification, both mentally and physically, which is what, you know, we've seen some shades of that purge happening. I think it's one of the reasons why Kyle said it was so profound for him. He said it was like, this is like my first ayahuasca journey, because mm-hmm. there really is a purging that happens, even though the practice feels so simple. Um, so whereas a lot of people are trying to focus or trying to clear their mind or trying to use an app to think for them, what I teach people how to do is to tap into that deep inner contentedness, what I call the bliss field, and and do that on your own without me, without an app, without Wi-Fi, without a phone. Because like people, to me, meditating with your phone is like having an AA meeting in a liquor store. Like why on earth <laughs> would you want to go into the belly of the beast to unplug? Um, so I really am big on Mm self-sufficiency and I'm really big on the simplicity of Ziva because I've just seen it happen 40,000 times over that people just start shedding, shedding, shedding all the stress that is keeping them from being their full, beautiful, awakened self. Yeah. So with the tool that you do use though, because you don't go in completely without tools, you go in with one particular tool and a lot of guidance, a lot of framework, one particular tool, and that's the mantra. Mm -hmm. And so- the way that you're teaching mantra, how is this similar and how is this different from like 
transcendental meditation or just different mantra practices with malas. It has a different flavor, even though mantra is used in a lot of different types of meditation. Yeah. Yours seems to be particularly unique from what I've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. So when people are using mala bead meditation, that's called, called japa. And we're using a mantra, but the point of it is to focus. The point of it is to bring yourself back, bring yourself back, bring yourself back. And most mindfulness techniques, the leash is really short come back, come back, come back to the breath, come back to whatever the focus is. But with Ziva, it's all about letting go, letting go, letting go. How much can you surrender? How long can that leash get? And so that word mantra has been very hijacked by the wellness industry. Some people think that it means like an affirmation, but actually uh, mantra is a Sanskrit word. Man means mind and trap means vehicle. So a mantra is a mind vehicle. And these mantras are designed to take you from that left brain realm of thinking and drop you down into that right brain realm of being where you are actually accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. So different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. And in that state of consciousness, the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison. You're increasing neuroplasticity and you're strengthening the corpus callosum, which is the bridge between those two hemispheres of the brain. So what will be different from japa versus ziva is that in, in ziva, you're not focusing, you're not concentrating. Yes, you're using the mantra, but it's a forgetting device, right? Like, yes, you pick it up, but really one of the only pieces of instruction I say is if at any time you seem to be forgetting it, do not try to hold on, let it go. And that's terrifying for people. Because they're like, wait a minute, I just came here, paid you a bunch of money, rearranged my whole calendar just so I could get this fancy word, and now you're telling me to forget it? F you, I'm going to remember my thanks. I'm going to hold on to my illusion of control. I'm going to really try and clear my mind because that's what every yoga teacher has told me for the past three decades. I got to clear my mind. And OPS, I don't like what's going on in here. I don't like what this thing is saying to me. And I've tried booze and I've tried pot and I've tried TV and I've tried everything and this thing will not stop abusing me. So can I? Can you please be the thing? Can meditation be the last resort that'll stop this bully in my brain? And so people go in and they try and wrestle with it and they try and focus on it and they try to fight it. And so my job and why my course is 10 hours long is that it takes me that long to teach people how to surrender, to teach people how to trust, to teach people how to not use effort right? Like thoughts are not the enemy of meditation, effort is. And so what the mantra teaches you and what this style of meditation teaches you is that the more you surrender, the more you let go, your brain starts treating you with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. And then the more you try and focus, the more you try and concentrate, the more your brain punishes you with headaches. Mm -hmm. And so does that answer the question? It does. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between, so like TM meditation, you know, you heard the Beatles were all into it, lots of people. and and the word is that it's it's one of the most effective ways, and that's it's really become popularized because mm-hmm. it's a way to drop into meditation a little deeper. What are the what are the kind of the flavor differences between what you're offering and TM? Yeah, so a lot of people think that TM is a style of meditation, but it's actually the name of an organization. It's the name of a company. Like I'm from the South, and so if you want a soda in the South, you just ask for a Coke. And it's like, oh, can I have a Coke? It's like, oh, do you want Coke or Sprite? It's like, oh, Sprite. <laughs> but you just say Coke. You're like Kleenex, right. Right. Tampax. Like there are brands that have become u- ubiquitous with a thing. And so a lot of people think that it is a style, but it's actually the name of a, of a beautiful organization that's taught millions of people to meditate. Where Ziva is different is that what I teach with Ziva is um, it's a trifecta of three M's. So mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And for the first six years of my career, I was just teaching meditation. And I started to notice that 
that people would have resistance to starting or they would quit. And so I started asking deeper questions like what's coming up? Like how on earth did you get the keys to the kingdom and then put them down? What? Like I literally just gave you the key to access your own bliss and fulfillment and the only place that it resides, which is inside of you and the only time that it resides, which is right effing now, and you're going to stop? What? <laughs> like I, I really didn't understand it. And so I just kept asking questions and, and I realized that people oftentimes were not equipped to handle the level of emotional and physical detox that can happen when you start a, a practice as powerful as this. And so that's why we started the mindfulness. So the mindfulness does two things. One it gives your brain a runway in. Like it's something for you to do. Mm -hmm. um, and what I use is a, is a sensory technique where you're using all five senses to bring yourself into the right now. So that's like a transition from the doing, doing, doing into that surrendered, restful being that this style of meditation is. But the other way that the mindfulness is really helpful is that when that purge can start to happen, you have tools to lean in and feel it. So that's one piece. And then we end with the manifesting. Um, so manifesting, you're very familiar with it. I define it just as consciously creating a life you love. And I tend to work with high achievers. I tend to work with high performers, like people who have a lot of difference to make on, on the planet. And so for them, it's hard to just waste their time. It's hard to justify sitting still in a chair for 15 minutes twice a day. And so when you hitch that wagon to your dreams, it suddenly becomes justifiable. Oh, you mean at the end of this meditation, I can think about my quarterly goals? Oh, you mean at the end of this meditation, I can think about how much sex I want to have this month? Cool, I'm in. And so what I found is that the whole really is greater than the sum of its parts. When you do all three ingredients and you stack them the way that we do in Ziva, the return on time investment just becomes exponential. Yeah. All right, fast forward to me learning <laughs> yeah. how to do this. So a beautiful puja ceremony, which you know you offer to the people who you work with individually. And it's a, a gorgeous ritual that you learned from your teacher. And it kind of opens this. And after, at the end of that ceremony, you brought me in privately to give me my mantra. And I was expecting a long chain of words having something to do with Shiva or something to do with, and that's what I've received before from different mantras. And for whatever reason, I, nothing, nothing ever really stuck. It didn't mm -hmm. quite do anything. I don't, I know about Shiva, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel Shiva. I don't know Shiva with a G, you know, so it wasn't really working. And if I tried to make myself understand it or whatever other thing it was, where there's Anandoham was one mantra that I had, which means it's another way to say bliss and, and mm -hmm. joy. And I'm thinking about that. All right, bliss, 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 but <laughs> it had a meaning. And I think the meaning was somehow distracting me. It was bringing me back into thought in some way mm -hmm. but the mantra that i received was it's just a uh, sounds mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it has a meaning somewhere all sounds probably have a meaning somewhere in our big broad wide earth in some language yeah. but it was simple sound yeah. it was a simple sound and and a, and a unique one that mm -hmm. i would never say normally yeah and i was like all right well that's cool that's simple and then we go into the meditation to try and use that mantra and the way you describe it is use it like an anchor that's just gently drawing you deeper 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 and i understand going deeper into the into the psyche and into this place of the bliss field is what you call it where mm -hmm. remembering forgetting waking sleeping it all starts to blur into this delicious soup of the cosmos right like all right i get it i understand didn't know that a mantra could do it and at first, when I was trying, I was trying to link it to my breath. And I was like, inhale, mantra, exhale, mantra, inhale, mantra. And I had tried to find some cadence. You're like, no, 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 do less. Do less, dear Aubrey, do less. <laughs> 
And when you know what's even better than less? Even less. <laughs> Do nothing. Accomplish yeah. you everything. You even better than even less? <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> Except for this one thing. And just circle back to this. And I finally started to get it. And then you're like, all right, now just allow the mantra to arise naturally in your mind. Don't think about when you're going to say it or not. It'll just appear. It'll just appear and appear. And, and you'll say the sounds. And it's, it's a really beautiful thing that the brain does is that we do say sounds in our mind. Mm. Like we can actually ohm in our mind if we want. It is also nice to create the vibration in your chest, move the cells with the sound waves when you're actually speaking it out loud. But this mantra isn't said out loud. It's said in the, in the quiet of your mind, which can reproduce the sound beautifully. And so as I started to get it, oh, wow. Oh, wow, it's working. And then thoughts come up and you, you, know, you have a guide for which thoughts to let run and then gently bring back. And all right, Let's not try to solve problems, so let's try to leave the problem solving for later. That's a little too much, so gently bring yourself back to the mantra. But don't try to use it like a baseball bat and bat them all away. Let's just try to, you know, gently move our way back to it. And I started going deeper and deeper and deeper, and my head started to drop, and my shoulders started to drop. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, oh, wow. This is meditating. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm the I best meditator in the land. And then I'm like, mantra, mantra, <laughs> mantra, 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 mantra. Back into that place. And it was so pleasant. Like a lot of people say, oh, meditation is hard for me. You know, we had, you know, I think we did 20 minutes in that first one. And I was like, I could have gone an hour. Like that was, that was, that was beautiful. Yeah. It was like such a, a lovely place to be in that it wasn't work. Maybe the work is just, getting in there and starting it that's right but once you're there it's delightful yeah yeah that, that you yeah you just said it all it's like <laughs> you, the work is getting your buns to the chair and then once you're there no effort and actually the less effort you use the more enjoyable it will be yeah we don't really know that i mean it's a principle in Taoism called wu wei you know wu wei like the path of the path of least effort and this is really like blending that kind of idea it's like do the do the least yeah really do the least just mm -hmm. this simple thing and follow it all the way down and then if you bubble back up to the surface of the water great you know and then allow yourself to matriculate down none mm -hmm. not one is better than the other and that's another beautiful thing that you really hammer home is a deep meditation is not better than a shallow meditation if you have a bunch of thoughts great and one principle that i really liked is all of these thoughts it's like a detoxification yes it's like things that are coming through your psyche that needed to come through your psyche. So you say, oh, hello, and, and thank you for leaving my You'd be a good party guest. Suit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you want to think about it like a party in your brain, and you're always going to have guests at your meditation party, and, and some of them you're going to enjoy, some of them you're not going to enjoy, and your job is to be a good host. Don't be a bouncer. In some ways, you're also kind of like the door guy, and, every, and all these thoughts are leaving the party. So the party gets like more refined to the guests that you really want. It's almost like you're saying, you are saying hello, but you're saying hello on the way out because that's the detoxification aspect. Thank you right? and goodbye. Yeah, Thank yeah, you yeah. And goodbye. Thanks for coming. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you goodbye. and goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for coming. Goodbye. Until all you're left with is like the essence, mm. the essence of the party itself, you know, and the guests all go away. Mm. And 
you mentioned too. But, but a really important point is that yeah. I don't want people to think that the guest going away is the point because then they, they can't help but be the bouncer. And even if it's sneaky, they like saddle up to that that friend, like, can right. you just get out of here? Because <laughs> I, I really, I, you know, Aubrey said that it was just, it was just him and pure beingness. And so can you just get out of here? And the second we try to clear the mind, the second we start using effort and then we feel like we're failing. And I just, I've seen so many people rob themselves of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment because they're judging themselves based on misinformation. Mm-hmm. Like you said, everyone thinks that meditation is hard. The reason why that is, is that most people are trying to do styles that were made for monks versus this was actually made for people like us, people with busy minds and busy lives, people who like having sex with other people. And so it's not a monastic practice and that really matters. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's interesting because it is, it is valuable, I think, to think of these thoughts that are coming, that they needed to come and they needed to go. You know, but it's not the the goal isn't to end. It's an endless wellspring of thoughts. Yeah. But these particular ones were the ones that you're actually purging from your psyche. And tomorrow you'll have new ones. If you start it up in 20 minutes after you finish, you would have new ones, and you would have new ones. It's an endless amount of people at the party. But it is gently sifting things and sorting things in a way. And of course, metaphors all fail when you get too granular with them. But it's it's beautiful to think about everything being productive. That there isn't one place you get to where this is where the productive part happens, but reframing the entire thing is productive, then it actually allows you to stop trying. It allows you to stop judging, stop creating a hierarchy of good, bad. It's moving beyond the polarity of this is better than this thing. It's just a different flavor. Yeah. Beautiful. And I would say that the goal has nothing to do with what happens in the sitting itself. The goal is, am I enjoying my life more? Am I getting better at life? And like, this will be on my tombstone. We meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Because the second you're judging what's happening in the chair, then you're going to try and correct or or use effort. But the litmus test is how was I feeling and performing the day before I started versus how am I feeling and performing 30 minutes after the practice? Mm -hmm. That's what I want people to judge. So I've used some of these biofeedback devices like the Muse and things like that. And mm-hmm. they're they're quite fun, but it's yeah. almost impossible not to be attached to when, for people who've used it, there's this like chaotic, windy birds. sounds. And then if you get really quiet, it starts to stop. And then you hear birds chirping. And when birds are chirping, that means that your brain waves are calming down from beta into alpha, maybe dipping into theta. You get into theta. Oh boy, there's a bunch of birds. And you're like, I'm crushing it. I wonder how many points I'm going to get. Competitive meditation. Yeah, it's like, Psh, you throw on that headband, see if you get this flock of birds. I bet you won't, baby. <laughs> I'm so enlightened. I got my video game telling me so. I got birds all day. I got birds. You want some birds? Oh, you didn't get any birds? I got extra birds. Don't worry. I got you. It's so hard not to do that in the gamification, although it's still valuable. So all these other things, whether it's using Headspace or Calm or Muse or whatever, I think there's a place for all of these Mm -hmm. things. But there is something very, very special about this type. And there's a couple things that, that end up happening. One, very restful and restorative reminds me of my binaural beat practice in that way like very restful and restorative and also it's you start to feel some of the effects of what a detox actually is like like go through a fast or go through a liver cleanse you're gonna have some shit come up emotionally you know the there's a great uh i think it was benjamin and azria's book who stay in our house they were quoting somebody else who's saying the issues in the tissues, right? So like there's stuff that's going to come up. And interestingly, it's like the tissue of our psyche itself, maybe even our brain, you know, maybe even the way that our brain is because of the brain state we're getting in 
there is a tangible detox process, which has actually brought stuff up in Vi and I's relationship as well. Like part of the detox was like things that were underneath latent in the surface. Now we're bubbling to the surface, just like if you're doing a liver cleanse and things that are moving out of your liver at that point are going to move through your psyche and create emotional disturbances and and beautifully so not disturbance in a bad way but just things are moving yeah so a lot of people think that stress is just a right now phenomenon like oh yeah my my mother-in-law's in town or it's crazy at work i'm stressed but stress actually gets stored in your cells it is not just a present moment phenomenon every single time your body's ever launched into fight or flight it's left an open window on your brain computer and in order to survive, we have to minimize those windows. And that's what stored trauma is. And so what Ziva's doing is that it's giving your body this rest that's actually five times deeper than sleep. You're de-exciting the nervous system. And when you do that, you create order in your body. And when you create order, that lifetime of stored stress in the cells, those issues in the tissues can actually start to come up and out. So it's like we're maximizing the window so that we can click X and get rid of it forever. And the cool thing is that there is a finite amount of stress in the body. And once we get rid of it, it's never coming back. Now, of course, there's going to be new stuff. But if you get rid of all your landmines and you get rid of all your triggers, the way that you process new stress is going to be a lot easier. It's like just water flowing off a duck's back. You're much more adaptive. Um, but that process can be quite intense, that initial sort of purge, which, you know, you're experiencing yeah. right now. <laughs> well, and, and what you're talking about is when we, we're all so fucking stressed that one little thing is liable to set us off because we're right on the borderline of the most we can handle yeah. and all of our coping strategies whether it's reaching for some exogenous substance or something that we're doing to distract ourselves. We're using everything we can to manage because we're right on the brink. Yeah. But if we can actually drop that level a lot lower of all of our stored stress, maybe there'll be some acute stress that comes in a certain moment. Yeah. But we're freeing up what you called adaptation energy, which is great, which is really resilience, the ability to receive a blow of stress. Like, oh shit, that happened? Yeah. Damn. That's intense. And that happened, and the universe loves this. You know, sh- nature loves this. Oh, you think that's stressful? How about that and that and that and that and that today? <laughs> you know, like that's all, that's the way it always goes with me. You know, it's like bam, it bam, comes bam. in clumps. Yeah. And I would argue to your point about adaptation energy, it's like, you know, we don't see those things coming. So like, wh- are you are you ready? Like, do you have gas in the tank for when the inevitable challenges come? And I really think that the marker of human success moving forward is going to be our ability to adapt. Like things are changing and they are changing quickly. It's like, if you think it's changing quickly right now, saddle the F up because it's about to get a lot faster. And so if we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to plug into the very source of adaptation energy, then just being a human is going to feel exhausting. And so it's like, we got to really resource ourselves. We want to plug into the source of energy, to the source of adaptation, to the source of bliss, so that when we interact in the world, that we're not going and sucking everyone else dry. Hey, please adapt to me. Hey, please feel good for me. Hey, please make me feel better. And instead, it's like, what can I give? Mm. Like, we don't want to be bags of need running around looking to be fulfilled. This practice, in my experience- We want to be bags of fulfillment running around looking for needs. Boom. That's exactly it. And that's what this practice does, right? Because you are actually, and like bio, neurochemically, what's happening is you're flooding your own brain and body with dopamine and serotonin. You are generating your own bliss chemistry, which allows you to be fulfillment looking for need. Yeah. So in this process, as you mentioned, 
while it seems like listen emily listen emily i've done ayahuasca a bunch of times like this is not gonna bring stuff up like that's cute thanks for the warning <laughs> appreciate it appreciate you don't know who you're dealing with here with me and Bailana. all right let me just but okay and then meanwhile you know this morning yesterday whatever we're like emily help help we need help and the beautiful thing is is that you have more tools in your toolbox and you've been you've been with us here it's been a week-long intensive where we've basically been living together and you've had tools that have been really helpful and there's two of these that i really want to mention the first of which was what we did first was the paradox process and this is really interesting and you're a fucking master at this thing like I think like, I know that this is probably a good method, but damn, like all of your Broadway training and everything you have, your intuition, your not all of this stuff really makes you a master of this. But explain to people what this is all about because it's really, really potent. Yeah, so I liken it to speed therapy. Whereas if something's coming up for you and you're having an issue, you can ask a series of questions that will clear the emotional charge around something. And the goal is to get you to objectivity, to get you to be able to see the truth. Um, This is something that I I am not... Here we go. Here's Emily <laughs> justifying herself. I am not certified in this. However, I did train with the man who invented Ryan, it. Right? Can you whip up a certification real quick? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we'll just we'll put some uh, some gold stars would be good if you have it for the sheet. Thank you. Whatever really... you use for your, when you said you had your youngest daughter, whatever that whatever that one will work. That'll work. That'll work great. Christian, get another one handy if you want, because we're going to need it again later on in the conversation, perhaps twice more. So get a couple for Emily so she feels comfortable talking about what a master she is. I love you so much. Thank you for calling me out in such a loving way. So I am dancing this dance between owning my own mastery and wanting to really be respectful to the people who have invented these tools and technologies. So shout out to this amazing man named Thomas Jones. He was my first therapist. He is an incredibly emotionally intelligent human. And I studied, I've been studying with him for 20 years, but intensively for seven. And he created this, this, this practice and I've sort of adapted and made it my own, like you said, with years of being on Broadway and years of teaching acting, like you develop this real empathy skill where you can crawl inside of someone else's experience. Also, shout out to my alcoholic father for my years of healing codependence. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because you become like a, it's a superpower that I developed, you know, with having like an angry parent where you're like, oh, well, well, if I can just adapt enough or I can just soup, I can intuit when he's mad before he gets mad and then I'll just calm it down, mm-hmm. right? And so everything has a light and a dark side and, and this is like a lot of my superpowers come from that. So anyway, paradox process is amazing and you can come with an issue and then you, I think a really important point is that you set where you want to go. Hey, where would you like to be around this subject, right? And then I'll sort of set that as the as the zero that we're working towards and then you would tell me where you feel like you are on the scale. Like right now I'm at 11 or you know, I'm at a four. And then I, you know, crawl inside that experience and then start asking you questions. Some of them are true, some of them are not, but they all have an emotional charge. And then you're just like hitting the delete key. Delete, 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 delete. And by the end of it, usually there's some more spaciousness. You feel a little bit lighter. You feel like you have some objectivity. And that in conjunction with the detoxification of the meditation can be really profound. Yeah. And and it certainly, it certainly was. I'm I love doing this on the podcast. And it's giving people a sample of what it's like, but doing it for realsies. Yeah. 
right? So I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah. We've been working through so much stuff, though. I'm trying to think of something that actually has an emotional charge that, we haven't, just, that we haven't just obliterated here. And we did like four hours of work this morning. I know. So. I know. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> but let, let, me just, let me just take a moment here. To let me take a moment and then we'll go through like a, a mini a mini version of the paradox process just right. to give people a flavor of what this looks like and then we'll tell people you know potentially people might learn enough to be able to experiment with themselves or maybe find some professionals who could actually yeah send them actually, to Thomas yeah 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 all right so let me just take a moment here and see what's alive with me at, at this point. Sometimes I still feel like I'm not doing enough, that I could and should be doing more, and that I'm not being disciplined enough, I'm not being dedicated enough, that the world needs me, and I'm not showing up for the world in the way that I could. And uh, this is an issue that is not super strong for me right now, but it's it's one of those ones that comes up a lot. It's this feeling like, am I being put to good use? This is Charles Eisenstein's prayer that I love. Like he just his prayer is always, may I be put to good use? And I wonder, I wonder, like, am I being put to good use? Am I putting myself to good use? Am I allowing the universe to move through me in a way that's for the best use of the world? And um, and so this is something that comes up a lot. And with that comes an appropriate, not appropriate, an associated amount of love that I give myself mm. to try and steer myself towards being of, of good use. Now, we also got to go through a, a beautiful medicine ceremony, which we won't talk about here on the podcast, but it was involves me offering body work, which I learned from Parangi, talk to people about that. And, uh, you know, let's just call it a ketamine journey at this point so ketamine journey with some body work and nothing too heavy on the medicine side but it's this beautiful process where i get to do body work with someone in a very open state and i was able to offer that to you um in that point in time beautiful and profound and i'm so grateful yeah it was a real initiation thank you thank Thank you. you yeah thank you in that time what's interesting is one of the things i love most about it is i know that in that moment I'm being put to good use. Like, even though it's just me and one person, I know I'm being put to good use. But in regular life, unless I'm like, you know, maybe right now I feel like, oh, I'm doing a podcast. This is me. I'm in the podcast. I'm in a podcast. I'm being put to good use. But the rest of my life, when I'm not like offering body work or doing a podcast, or I just, crush some dope poem that i know is going to be a dope video or i'm on stage speaking there's these peak moments where i'm like yep you did it buddy good fucking job like you're doing it and i feel this wash of love and peace and acceptance and and joy from from knowing that i'm being put to good use and then the rest of a lot of the rest of my life also when i'm making love to vilana i also feel this like right now there's nothing better i could or should be doing so I get lots of reprieves from this, but generally, much of the time, there's this waking anxiety, this little grinding anxiety of, what about now? What about now? Not enough. You're watching this show. You could be on your computer and doing something, at least something. And so it's this kind of grinding thing that's grinding down my joy and dampening and dulling the colors from my life. Mm. 
So, uh, yeah. So then let's, let's go for it. Cause it's real. Yeah. Great. So let's say that the zero that we want to work towards is you feeling, feeling just how enough you are. Mm. The zero we're going to work towards is you feeling so satisfied and so in love with who you are exactly right here, right now, that you feel like beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are enough. Mm. Real simple, real simple zero. And that's the zero. How far away from that are you right now? 10 is like, I am in full anxiety. And if I don't <sighs> conquer, if I don't save the whole world right now, no one's ever going to love me. I think we're in a very good spot for me normally, but I'm like a thick, a thick three, <laughs> like a thick, thick firm, firm, thick, great girth, <laughs> yeah, girthy, <laughs> girthy, thick three, thick three. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay, great. Okay, so again, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Some of them are going to be true, some will be false, but they're all going to have an emotional charge. And what I want you to say after each question is simply see truth. When I say that out loud, see truth, see truth. And I invite anybody who's listening to this podcast who shares some of these same concerns or feelings, like, go ahead, join well, in. Yeah, pretend, follow along. Pretend this is for you because I promise I'm not that different than you. <laughs> yeah, this, this issue of I am enough is pretty universal. Like yeah. almost any human could do this along with you and, and say, see truth in their mind or out loud as they're listening. So again, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Some of them will be true. Some of them will not be true, but they're all going to have an emotional charge. And I want you to say, see truth after each question. <clears throat> Am I enough? See truth. Will I ever be enough? See truth. Haven't I never been enough? See truth. Why would I be enough if I've never been enough? See truth. Who's going to tell me when I'm enough? See truth. Who's going to give me the certificate? See truth. Who's going to tell me when I've done enough? See truth. Don't I really believe that if I could just heal a few more people, then I'll be worthy of love? See truth. Don't I really believe that if I just change a few more paradigms on the planet, then I will be worthy of love? See truth. Aren't I worthy of love right now? See truth. Do I believe that? See truth. Do I believe that I'm worthy of love right fucking now? See truth. What's going to take for me to believe that I'm worthy of love exactly as I am? See truth. Do I really have to save the whole fucking world in order to be worthy of love? See truth. When am I going to love myself? See truth. When am I going to love myself? See truth. When am I going to be able to love myself from the inside? See truth. Why do I have to accomplish so much in order to feel like I'm enough? See truth. Isn't it exhausting? See truth. Don't I love it? See truth. Don't I get off on it? See truth. Isn't this my existential kink? See truth. <laughs> Isn't this the thing I'm secretly so proud of? See truth. <laughs> Don't I love this angst inside of me? See truth. Hasn't this angst gotten me a lot of good stuff? See truth. Hasn't this angst made a lot of really cool things in the world? See truth. Aren't I proud of it? See truth. Don't I not want to get rid of it? See truth. Isn't it a thick three because I love it? <laughs> See truth. Aren't I proud of this piece of me? 
See truth. What if there's nothing to fix here? See truth. What if there's nothing to solve? See truth. What if this anxiety is divinely inspired? See truth. How do I see the cosmic joke in that? See truth. How do I see that nature made me totally perfect and totally anxious? See truth. <laughs> How do I see that I'm not totally anything? See truth. Aren't I already enough? See truth. Can I enjoy my enoughness and want to save the world? See truth. Would I save the world if I felt like I was enough? See truth. Aren't I afraid to be lazy if I believed I was enough? See truth. Wouldn't I judge myself if I thought I was enough? See truth. Isn't it that sacred yearning that's gotten me everything I've gotten in life? See truth. How do I see that the time for that level of yearning is over? See truth. How do I see that what got me here is not going to get me there? See truth. Can I let go of the anxiety? See truth. Can I let go of the self-judgment? See truth. How do I see that if I can run a seven-minute mile with a rock in my shoe, I'll still be able to run a seven-minute mile if I take the rock out of my shoe? See truth. Isn't the anxiety just the rock in my shoe? See truth. How do I see that my destiny is my destiny? See truth. How do I see that if I'm meant to save the world, I'm going to save the world? See truth. How do I see that whatever I'm meant to change, I'm going to change? See truth. How do I see that the anxiety is totally negotiable? See truth. How do I see that I would actually be more effective on my mission if I stopped judging myself so hard? See truth. How do I see that I could actually have fun while I'm changing the paradigms if I stopped hating myself so much? See truth. <laughs> Where did this voice come from? See truth. Didn't I believe when I was little that I wasn't enough? See truth. Didn't my love get taken away from me? See truth. Wasn't that fucking painful? See truth. Wasn't that terrifying? See truth. Aren't I afraid it's going to get taken away again? See truth. Aren't I afraid that if I don't work my ass off that I don't deserve love? See truth. Aren't I sick of working my ass off? See truth. Don't I love working my ass off? See truth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a little mini pause there. Check in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So what was that like for you? What what came up? It's the, it was a really important reframe of like, it's things that it's, it's almost like I, I was, I, they're not foreign to me, these thoughts. They're not like the first time I ever th I thought this, but somehow through the process, they're landing deeper. Yeah. And, they're, and I'm processing them in a way, and they're all weaving together in a way that, that's making like a, an impact greater than the individual thought itself. Yeah. And, and I think the idea that this is, this is all okay, this is part of, part of my design, but I can also get the same thing, which I want, but without the, without the cost of yeah. the anxiety of it yeah. and how it is absurdly woven into a lot of conditioning and patterns and other things that are just ready to ready to drop. Yeah. You want to do one more mini round? Yeah, I'm at like a, a one. Okay. And it's like a one of middle finger flipping myself <laughs> off. Like, Why fuck you, you I'm not going away. <laughs> so you can fucking suck it. Lick this finger and shove it. And enjoy it. 
Okay, and what's that defiance? Like, what's what's it protecting? I actually think it's protecting me from realizing that I could have gotten rid of this already, mm. and the self judgment of being like, "See, you could you could have been done with this already. You could have been living a life of more joy and less stress and anxiety." Yeah, far longer. Okay. Okay, so we're going back in. Aren't I a ding dong? <laughs> See, See truth. truth. Why, why the fuck have I made this so hard? See truth. <laughs> Couldn't it have all been so much easier? See truth. Isn't that not true? See truth. Didn't it have to be hard? See truth. Didn't I need that fire to forge my steel? See truth. Didn't I have to walk through that fire to become the king that I am? See truth. Didn't it have to be hard? See truth. Didn't I sometimes make it harder than I needed to? See truth. <laughs> Can I forgive myself for that? See truth. Can I see that I had to prove myself to myself? See truth. When am I going to realize that I've proven myself to myself? See truth. Haven't I already proven myself to everybody else? See truth. When am I going to prove myself to myself? See truth. Doesn't everyone else already think I'm enough? See truth. Some people think I'm more than enough. See truth. Are people kind of intimidated by my enoughness? <laughs> See truth. <laughs> when am I going to relish and savor my enoughness? See truth. Isn't there a real possibility I could go to my grave and never realize that I'm enough? See truth. Couldn't Emily and I be here at 85 doing the same fucking exercise? <laughs> See truth. Don't I get to choose? See truth. Don't I get to choose every minute of every day? See truth. Won't that be a new muscle? See truth. Isn't it weak right now? See truth. Don't I know how to make weak, weak muscles strong? See truth. How do I build my enough muscle just like I have every other muscle? See truth. Am I enough? See truth. Do I believe that I'm enough? See truth. Aren't I afraid that if I believe I'm enough, I'll stop working? See truth. Don't I know that's not true? See truth. Couldn't there be nothing farther from the truth? See truth. Aren't I going to bring light no matter what? See truth. Aren't I going to bring light even if I eat Doritos and watch reality TV all day? See truth. Wouldn't I still be bringing light? See truth. How do I see that my joy distributes joy into the collective? See truth. How do I see that me stressing while trying to make the world more joyous is not working? See truth. How do I see that me suffering while trying to deliver bliss is contributing to the collective suffering? See truth. When do I let myself have fun? See truth. When do I let myself enjoy it? See truth. How much money is it going to take? See truth. How many women is it going to take? See truth. How many more sales is it going to take? See truth. How many more cars is it going to take? See truth. How many more podcasts? See truth. How many more books? See truth. When will it be enough? See truth. Is it enough? See truth. Will it ever be enough? See truth. Can I enjoy it right fucking now? See truth. Can I enjoy it right fucking now? See truth. Aren't I ready? See truth. Don't I deserve that? See truth. Haven't I earned that? See truth. Didn't I deserve it even before I earned it? See truth. Didn't I deserve it even before I earned it? See truth. Would I look at five-year-old Aubrey and tell him he's not enough? See truth. Would I look at 10-year-old Aubrey and tell him he has to work harder in order to earn love? See truth. Would I look at 15-year-old Aubrey and tell him he's not enough? See truth. Would I look at Aubrey from yesterday and tell him he has to work harder in order to earn love? See truth. Isn't none of that true? See truth. Wasn't it not even true when my parents felt like they were taking my, their love away. See truth. Weren't they loving me to the best of their ability? See truth. Weren't they doing the best that they could with the tools that they had? See truth. Wasn't I doing the best that I could with the tools that I had? See truth. Aren't I doing a great job? 
See true. When am I going to celebrate myself? See true. When am I going to give myself a certificate? See true. What if I give myself a certificate right now? I am enough. <laughs> See truth. Aubrey Marcus, enough. Gold stars. Signed, Emily Fletcher. <laughs> See truth. Aubrey Marcus, you are enough. Signed, God. <laughs> See truth. Don't I get to give that gift to myself? See truth. Want to make everything else more fun? See truth. Won't I actually be able to create more because I'll be in the trusting of it? See truth. Won't I be able to dream bigger because I will believe in myself? See truth. Won't it be more fun? See truth. Aren't I ready for that? See truth. Isn't it go time? See truth. Aren't I ready to have my joy contribute to the collective joy? See truth. Aren't I ready to have the collective joy contribute to my joy? See truth. Is that going to be a blast? See truth. Isn't already a blast? See truth. Isn't it going to be more fun? See truth. Aren't I ready? See truth. Aren't I ready to go? See truth. Yeah. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. <laughs> and just say auto zero. Auto zero. Yeah. Auto zero. Bravo. Nice work. You did the work. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was enough. You know what I did right there? I did enough. That's, that's right. What, that's what I did. I, I did enough. I want you to. I want you to take Violana's lipstick and write on your mirror. <laughs> I am enough. I am enough. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I would have needed that like. 10 minutes ago but now shit i don't need don't even need it anymore i'm enough <laughs> auto right. zero it's amazing how enough you are yeah i'm just abundant in enoughness i got enoughness to spare it's like those birds on my oh. meditation app here you go here you go want I got some some, yeah, you want some enoughness <laughs> oh i'm a little short on fucks to give but i got plenty of enoughness in my oh other my pocket God. yes let's <laughs> please make that a thing all out of fresh out of fucks plenty of enoughness <laughs> yeah yeah, that's it. Uh -huh. It's powerful. It's yeah. like a really, it's a really, it's so potent. Yeah. And, uh, and just thank you for your guidance, your expertise. That's, I like doing it for real rather yeah. than like telling people, oh yeah, this thing is cool. Because um, that was real. That wasn't like, that was really working and, and yeah. really doing it. And that's, mm -hmm. this is the game we're in. Like enough of the, let's theoretically understand something and like expand our, our awareness that's all fine it has a place you know it's great especially for like theoretical physics or you know you know some fucking astronomy that requires you know mathematical equations and shit like i get it there's mm -hmm. a place for this theory yeah that makes sense but really what we need is just to feel something is to like feel it to to get in there get on the inside whether it's meditation whether it's these processes like not just the talking about it not the understanding of the concepts but ways to move in move energy and change and 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 change course in a way not because the previous course was worse again than a pattern the judgment but just get in there and and do the real stuff yeah. do the real stuff of it and sexuality is the same way like it's powerful already but let's get in Let's do the real stuff of it. Let's make some stuff that's undeniably, undeniably powerful. And I think that's like the age we're transitioning into is it's beyond theory. Now it's like, all right, let's embody it. Let's embody the more beautiful world our hearts know as possible, not just talk about it. 
Yeah. You know, let's let's be it. Yeah, we don't need more information. We're right. living. You want any information on anything? Go on your phone. More information than our ancestors had in their whole lifetimes. You could find in seven minutes. And we all know it. Yeah, that's the we, that's the we don't s- act silly in accordance thing. with what we know. We act in accordance with the baseline level of stress in our nervous systems. Right. And that's why I love Ziva so much because it's moving that stuff. It's why I love these sacred sexuality practices so much because they're very healing. Like one of the things I learned from Layla, who you mentioned, Layla Martin, who was like one of the world's most amazing Tantra teachers and my best friend, she said this thing to me. She said, ecstasy for tens of thousands of years was seen as a purifying force. And that one sentence possibly changed the trajectory of my life because it's like, well, we've all been, we've seen it as like dirty or shameful or wrong or to be hidden or keeping you from God or something to be embarrassed about. And it's like, no, this is this is a purifying force. Mm. And so that's one of the things that's been lighting me up. Yeah, talk about messianic consciousness, turning the tables over. All right, let's take the thing that's been the most repressed, had the most shame stacked on top of it, had the most issues and weird things evolved around it. Let's go right in there, recognize that this was a tool for us to access the divine, a tool beyond a tool. It's like to say it's a tool is insane. It's yeah. the everything. Yeah. It's the cosmoerotic universe. It's the craving, the desire for two to become one, a covalent bond, a union, this thing that's the very core of a subatomic particles, why an electron spins around a nucleus that's drawn to it, why the earth is drawn to the sun and the sun draws the earth. It's this thing that's like at the very birth and core of everything. 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 And let's go in there, in there, because you know what's going to be hiding in there? God's going to be hiding in there. And let's go in there and let's use that force to do God's fucking work. Yes. Preach it. Let's go. Preach it. Let's go. Like what I always say about, like, if, if I had to summarize the entirety of the Vedas, right, which is what I've been studying for 13 years, which is this beautiful ancient body of knowledge, which is a human mm, approximation of the of the way that nature works of natural law but if i had to summarize the entirety of the vedas into one sentence it would be the one became two for the joy of becoming one again (laughs) and it's what you just said so beautifully the one became two for the joy of becoming one again and if that truth if that fundamental everythingness is woven into the entirety of our experience then of course we're going to have that draw that magnetism that attraction inside of everything every atom and so can we start to play with the holiness with the sacredness of the eroticism that is inside of us already Mm. can we use these practices as a way to bring ourselves closer to the divine one of the interesting things that Mark Gaffney talks about, and that podcast should be out by the time ours is. So you guys have already, hopefully many of you got your mind blown by this. So excited. This absolute erotic, Kabbalistic mystic is one of the things that he said is they did a study about what people say when they're climaxing, when they're orgasming, right? <laughs> and they say one of two things in general. I mean, of course, there's some outliers who say some weird <laughs> shit like, rhinoceros, I don't know. Sheep monkey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for the most part, they say one of two things, either their partner's name or, oh God. Oh God. And what the, the, the way that he was actually using it was to say that actually those are the same thing. Their partner is God. Exactly, because your partner is the face of the divine, a face of the divine, a way in which the divine has taken form. So you're really actually saying the same thing with two different names. Yes. 
slightly different flavor, but two different names. But it also speaks to the fact that we intuitively know that at that moment, we're in contact. We're in contact with the divine. We know it. We know it and we say it. And then as soon as we're done, we're like, oh God, what did I just do? Uh, you know, like, oh, oh, oh walk Hail of Mary's, shame. Hail Mary's, let me, you know, repentance and be more pious. Yes. And it's like, who said? Who said that sex should be shameful? Who said we should be embarrassed? Yeah, the church, but when? Like at what point? Right? Oh, lots like, of times. <laughs> lots of times. But back in the day, yes, like there have been, there have been whole lineages, whole um beautiful sacred practices that were worshiping the divine feminine, that were worshiping the erotic, Aphrodite temples, goddess practices. And so we like raped those things, taken the incense and the piousness out of it, made it quite patriarchal, quite separate from God, and then made people ashamed and embarrassed of accessing their own internal bliss chemistry right inside of themselves, right? It's like we have all this oxytocin, just like we have the dopamine and serotonin from the meditation. We have this powerful oxytocin right inside of us, but the church and others have said, well, don't don't you masturbate. Don't you touch yourself. Don't you have sex. And especially for women, like there's an extraordinary amount of slut shaming out there. Which isn't, I mean, maybe it came originally from the church and I don't mean to put all of the blame on the church or anything. And the not. church has also done some beautiful things and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I, I get it. It's not an attack on that. It is also a condensation of places where a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of repression of sexuality, repression of the feminine has come from, but it also comes from many different sources. So, mm. And so I just want to acknowledge that this is a broader thing. And also sometimes in monastic cultures that have had nothing to do with the, with the church, these natural impulses for desire were actually counterproductive for the monastic lifestyle, which was a very very small portion of the population who's drawn to an asexual life, a monastic lifestyle, and this would draw them out of it. So we'll even see some Buddhist texts or some other monastic culture texts where they're attacking lust as like, this is one of the principal things to to avoid and to be careful of. You I mean, you can't even touch, if you're a woman, you can't touch one of somebody in a saffron robe, right? Like in a lot of cultures mm -hmm. in Thailand, that was the case. Or women aren't even allowed in many temples. That's right. still so, the case. So, there, so it's, 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 spread in many, many different ways and then found a new neo-puritanical form in this slut shaming and this way in which sex is so like scary and barbed and broken glass and shards like, holy shit, this is so intense. And, and it's become this very, very toxic thing when it's really like the, at, the, at its essence, such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's why so many of us are waking up to this call of sacred sexuality at the same time. You know, like you finding Mark Gaffney. I love the, so my lover, Adam, like sent me the book, A Return to Eros. I show up in Miami to meet you and Vi, and you're saying Eros, Eros, Eros. And I'm like, Adam's been reading this book about Eros. And you're like, I, I want, that'd be funny if it was a return to Eros. I was like, that's it. <laughs> and so like Mark Gaffney comes into my world right after he comes into your world. And Strange. then, yeah, and you like say my name to him real and, strange. yeah real strange yeah but it, i think there's this collective waking up right i think it's one of the reasons why i said to you like i want to meet your wife because and now that we're working together i see that we have such similar missions where it's like we want to bring together all of these people who are who are waking up to like oh we have to we have to shift the way that culture sees sex and sexuality because we've taken the most creative force there is Right? Sexual energy and creative energy are very, very similar. 
right? Like we are at the basis, it's you are drawn to someone sexually to create a baby. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not creating a baby every time we have sex, but we are creating something. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, how are we going to use that creative energy? And when that thing gets perverted, when that thing doesn't have a beautiful outlet for expression, then it will come out in ways that are, I think, creating a lot of the suffering, unnecessary suffering and darkness on the planet. You can just you can just redact the I think <laughs> it is. You. It is creating un, just an, an absolute unnecessary amount of suffering. The unconsciousness, the shame, the the broken glass pieces, all of this stuff that's woven in. And to, you know, for anybody who's listened to some of the podcasts I've done with Vailana, she's shared a lot of her challenging history with sexuality. And she's had the full gamut from, you know, any variety of different situations where she's been taken advantage of, manipulated, violated, and also willingly given away her sexuality to people who didn't really honor her and didn't actually, didn't actually take care not to do more damage and and leave her more whole than when they found her was really this transactional taking energy that she's experienced beyond just the straight up violations that she's that she's experienced in a variety of different ways and it's so sad but this is the this is the reality for so many women and so many men there's so much sexual trauma as well as the just garden variety shame and guilt and repression and all of this other stuff there's so much to work through so one of the the ideas of bringing you two together was for you to help her go even deeper into the sexual practices so that she could further liberate beyond what ayahuasca can do beyond what me being a devoted and loving husband could do and we've done we've done a lot together and it's been beautiful but finding someone who could be that mentor be a teacher to teach her how to really liberate herself you know Mm. through these practices and what she's been able to go through in this week has been stunning 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 yeah yeah she's done such beautiful work both of you have and and it's been a real honor for me to witness and a real initiation for me as well and you know some of the things that we've been doing, and, and something I want to say is that anytime we engage in some sort of sacred sexuality practice, like before we even get to anything resembling pleasure, it's like we first just lean right into the darkness. So, okay, before we can even access our own full bliss chemistry, it's like, well, what? where are you feeling tightness, embarrassment, shame, um, holding? And you know, I think you heard us the first time where it was like, what, what's happening in there? And and it was just like a lot of like rage to start. And it was like breathing out the rage, moving the rage, and then finding the grief and leaning into that. And then starting to find that eros inside, then starting to breathe that creative sexual energy into the space that was left behind by the rage and the grief. Yeah. One of my friends, Stephen Jagger says, like, repression is released with expression. Mm-hmm. Like the pressure of repression is released with expression. Yes. And I think that's a key thing that you find, whether it's an ecstatic dance practice or a breathwork practice and of course this sexual repression and pressure is released with sexual expression as well as other emotional expressions of the emotions that that act has actually caused us to store in our tissues and store in our psyche yeah and so it's it's all woven it's all woven together it's untangling this these knots Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting like what we did first of like 
leaning into the darkness, the different flavors of darkness to make spaciousness for more ecstasy, for more bliss. Um, it's similar to what happens if you have like a fight and then make up sex, right? It's like there's the rage and there's the grief and then there's the turn on. And so we walked through a practice that I learned from from Regina Thomashauer, aka Mama Gina, aka my roommate, who's amazing and mm -hmm. she's a legend. And she wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Pussy, a reclamation. And even this week, like in our in my work with Vailana, it's like even me being comfortable saying that word, her being comfortable saying that word. Like, and just a quick etymology, vagina actually comes from a word that means a sheath for a, a sword. And it's like, that's just one one element of the pussy, of this beautiful- And it's beautiful, actually like the inner canal part. Yeah, and that's just the canal. Versus the pussy is like the whole pleasure portal. It's the matrix point, the matrix, right? The place where all life is birthed. And so really reclaiming that word pussy. Thank you, Mama Gina. Um, and, and then also this practice of like the rage into the grief, into the turn on and transmuting that rage and grief with your turn on. And, and the way that Regina says it is, you know, that rage is a combustible power source. It's like a dirty energy. Grief can also be power, fuel you, but it's dirty. But when you put your turn on into it, when you sprinkle that sexual energy to it, it turns it into a clean energy source. And so that's what we've been doing um, as part of the practice. And then we did our first uh, sex magic, which is something I learned from Layla Martin, um, which if I didn't even know what sex magic, I'd never heard those words a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so for people listening who haven't maybe heard that, it's um, basically using your pleasure as a manifesting tool. It's like, I would call it manifesting on steroids, mm -hmm. right? And I have been teaching manifesting for years. And so now it's just like, a, what else can we pour on top of that flame of your desire? Um, so with sex magic, you're basically getting super clear on a vision. Like what's one thing I would love to manifest? And you really get into a five senses reality of it. And then you start to create pleasure in your own body and you move that from the root up to your crown and you move it through every energy center, through every chakra. And at the moment of peak pleasure, you send that energy to the vision. And, and we've been doing it almost every day since we've been together, different flavors of it, different variations of it. And it's been so beautiful to have the vision keep crystallizing, to see what downloads come. It's like, yes, we're placing the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant, but then we're also very open to receive what guidance there is for us. It's like the veil gets very thin. The right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison, similar to meditation. You're flooding yourself with bliss chemistry. And quite literally, your electromagnetic field gets bigger. So your magnet gets stronger. So these desires that you're dancing inside of, they start to be magnetized to you. So there's some real beautiful like science behind sex magic. And one time we were giggling, we were like, this is already done, but we might as well masturbate about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we just, we're coming from this place of real knowing and real trust. And let's just, let's just pour some fire on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's already done, but we'll masturbate about it. It's great. So in uh, Mark Gaffney's been talking to me about, you know, in the wisdom of Solomon, the Solomon traditions, the kind of mystery schools that have been hidden in the deep, you know, Kabbalistic mysticism, they have a word for orgasm and an orgasm in the Hebrew. I, I don't have the word handy offhand. I wish I did. It's a beautiful word, but it's, it's the moment of so much light that you can't hold it anymore. So it's like this moment where the light is building, the light is building and you surrender to the all light. It's like, 
the all light. And so imagining that you're holding this, this crystalline vision of your future, very much like what Joe Dispenza is doing, like, all right, let's draw this future, magnetize to this reality that we want to be the embodiment, be the living, breathing, you know, wet magnet for this for this thing that we're attracting let's draw that in and then build the light build the light and then surrender to the all light that connection to the divine to the all to the all light and then crystallize that that point mm-hmm. and then allow that to become part of our life that's the that's the essence yeah of of the sex magic and by the way what a lovely way to do it yes doesn't and- have to hurt no, it doesn't have to. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to grind. Well, maybe it's a different kind of grinding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just actually did a, um, a Joe Dispenza seven day retreat, and it's so I was fascinated by how similar what he's doing is to sex magic. He's not using necessarily like manual like pleasure creation. He's doing more breath and energy work, but it is moving that energy from the base to the crown. And so it was cool to see like, oh wait, this practice that is so powerful that I've been using, you can achieve it in other in other ways. It reminds me kind of of um, the ways in which some of the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy practitioners talk mm-hmm. about the difference between processing trauma with ketamine and processing trauma with MDMA. Mm. And obviously ketamine is fully legal now, but of course they've had access to tons of clinical trials. MAPS has done an amazing job showing how absolutely effective it is to process trauma on MDMA. And what they were saying is, is that in the ketamine state, it's disassociative. It pulls you out of your ordinary reality so that you can process trauma from a neutral place from a neutral place, which is far better than the PTSD kind of rigid, tight, clinging place that most of us would access trauma. Because as we go back into those traumatic memories, all of those emotions come alive, everything, you're reliving it as you replay what's been stored on your your hard disk, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're going through all that. But with ketamine, you get to go to a neutral place. But with MDMA, obviously you're flooded with this, flooded with serotonin, you're flooded with all of these hormones that make you feel so good, make your heart feel so open. So you're processing not from a neutral place, but from a place of vast openness and love mm-hmm. and safety mm-hmm. that's created from that. And it's more powerful. It's just more powerful. It's a more powerful way to process trauma. And this is from the people who, you know, the doctors that have been actually working with both and seeing it. And it seems similar in that in the meditative state, you can get to a neutral place, a place where your mind is more more removed from your struggles and your challenges, maybe even all the way into the bliss field, a place in which you know, you're, you've slipped beyond ordinary waking consciousness. And it's, it is quite pleasurable, but it's somewhat neutral. You're getting to a somewhat more neutral place, even though it's not probably totally neutral, nor is ketamine totally neutral, but it's a more neutral place. But if you're doing it from a place of pleasure, uh, it's beyond neutral. It's super powered. It's extra charged, just like MDMA. It's this is way beyond neutral when you reprogram. So it's just like a more powerful way to do something very similar. Now, obviously, getting two thousand people in a ballroom in Cancun masturbating together is something that he's not ready to do at this point, and perhaps the world isn't ready to do it. But guess what? We got <laughs> someone raising their hand who's like, "Okay, what if we did that?" What if we got thousands of people together and instead of meditating and manifesting, 
Let's masturbate. Well, we're going to do both. Ma- <laughs> of course. Do- well, you, it's, it's you, are, th- you are both. It's a new three M's. We're going to yeah. meditate. We're going to manifest. Four M's. And we're going to masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, I, the first night, well, the night that we reconnected, right, which I'd be interested to hear about your experience of that. But I remember telling you this vision that I've been having of 80,000 people in a stadium doing this thing, this this vision that I'm, I'm calling as of now ecstatic prayer. Um, maybe it's it's the meditation of ecstasy. We'll figure it out. But it, it would be, you know, really bringing in like a high level entertainer. Like Liz, I want like Lizzo or Billie Eilish, like opening it up, getting people in their bodies and then moving into ecstatic dance meditation, getting this whole crowd, about 80,000 people holding a vision for the planet and then bringing out my good friend, Layla Martin and having her lead people through sex magic, moving this vision through their root all the way up to their crown and just, just imagine it, right? Like I just like everyone listening to this podcast, holding this vision as well, because imagine 80,000 people climaxing at the same time, seeing God at the same time while simultaneously seeing a vision for the planet. And imagine that antenna, because one person connecting to God, powerful, 80,000 people connecting to God at the same time. Can you imagine the strength of that antenna, like the hole that it would create in the universe, the the timelines that would shift as a result of that? And then everybody on the field ecstatic dancing. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about this. You're like, this world can't hold that vision. He's like, but I love this vision because as you hold it stronger, you're going to draw this new world to it. Right. And so, I, and so I'm, 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 regardless of all of the naysayers and all of my own criticism, my own judgment, it's like, I'm going to keep holding the vision because I know that as I do, I will draw that new earth to the vision. Yeah. Because at the point that that, at the point that those two things, you know, clasp hands, then we're in a radically different reality. Yeah. In a radically different reality where you can talk to stadium owners and they'd be like, yeah, good idea. Sounds great. great. Sounds yeah. good. And that you could put that out and it wouldn't just be people freaking out and attacking and going crazy and being challenged and being threatened and be like, yeah, cool. That's yeah. what they're doing over here. I'm going to, you know, I'm not in tonight. You know, I'm going to watch the game or whatever, but, you know, I'm glad they're doing it. I mean, the whole world is in a different level of consciousness at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and then at that point, this is going to then supercharge the next evolution of the new world. So it's, it's really beautiful that like it's the hidden, it's a kind of a hidden way to draw a world that could hold that vision to this reality. Mm-hmm. And then once that's there, this is both celebration, consummation, and the new launch point for another reality. I also love reclaiming these stadiums that have been temples to war, like temples to fighting, to having Mm -hmm. men like bang up against each other and fight, which there is so much sacredness in sports and competition. I'm not here to like diss on sports. I know there's a lot of beauty that comes in it, but 80,000 people are going there every single Saturday to watch the same exact game. You don't think we get 80,000 people to come together to make history, to tap into their own pleasure and to tap into God and oh yeah, by the way, change the course of reality while we're at it? Easy. Where where do you think somebody listening right now, where do you think they're like, this is this shit is fucking crazy? Like, I don't know. Should I turn this shit off? Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe this is enough. You know, like where is this, where is this impulse that comes to be like, no way, no way. Like, why, why is that so deeply in our in our culture right now? Well, I think we've already proven that one in four women 
are experienced some flavor of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And now, as the numbers are starting to really come out, it's actually one in four people. It's just that men weren't reporting it as much because, like, that's how deep the shame was. And so that's like 25% of the population. And so at least, at least, because when we do certain exercises in fit for service where we have coaches, we do this like step into the step into the circle exercises, which is really powerful, a big circle of, you know, 150 people and, and, you know, step into the circle and you gradually go if you've experienced some form of sexual abuse and the numbers are way higher for men and women, way higher than 25%. Yeah. Like, and just amongst my own friends who I know and were intimate and vulnerable enough to be able to share that mm -hmm. the numbers are are a lot higher underreporting is is significant so yeah. yeah i mean i think the amount of sexual trauma is driving a lot underneath the surface here yeah because it's like that's your first if your first interaction with sexuality is not consensual or not with a person that you feel safe with, then that's going to that's going to shape and color every experience you have afterwards. And even if we take off the judgment as being good or bad, it's just work that we have to do to get to a place of full surrender, full trust, full ecstasy. And so I think that that's where a lot of it comes from. And then societally, we've just sort of adopted that like, we just don't talk about that. And like parents have such a hard time talking to their children about it. And and I just keep getting this download that's like tantra for teens, tantra for teens, tantra for teens. I'm like, no, thank you, nature. <laughs> like, I love you and I trust you, but like, I'm not interested in going to gymnasiums and talking to 17 year old boys about masturbation. Yeah, no, we'll leave it to Pornhub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll leave it to you, porn. And then we've got this misogyny, this predatory behavior, this um, rape culture, and and that that's how we're going to introduce our kids to it. And it's like, wait, we're just telling people not to do it. That they're going to get pregnant. They're going to get STDs. They're going to get slut shamed. But we don't even say why. We're not even speaking to the power of the practice. We're just like, just don't go there. Don't do it. Don't talk about it. I'm going to put some guards on your phone and pretend like that's going to keep you from getting to it. Yeah, like they're not clever enough to yeah. go through. And I don't want to say that I think it's it's too facile to say that all pornography is rape culture because it's not. Fair. Because I know some porn stars who've you know, really thoroughly have just enjoyed it. Like this is, they like the voyeurism of it. They like the the way in which they get to be kind of a, a, re a rebel and they get to kind of like put their middle finger up to everything that's been telling them to be repressed and to hold it's it like to their themselves. Reclamation. And it's their reclamation. Yeah. And, that, and that is a real thing. It's not ubiquitous by any stretch of the imagination, nor even the majority from, you know, from what I'm able to see. But there is, some, that's not always like that. And there's many different flavors of pornography. There's many different ways, but there's an energy that permeates a lot of it, which is not healthy, particularly to somebody who's trying to learn about sexuality. I mean, for me, when I was growing up, you know, I'm 40 now, so it was like, you're lucky to score a magazine, mm -hmm. you know, like you get a magazine and that even in and of itself is like edgy, but it was a lot different than like, than what's on yeah. on the tube sites right I mean, now. They're starting to show like the scientific differences between like looking at and the stimulation that happens in the brain from a photo and masturbating to a photo versus pornography. And it, it's, it's different. It's not, it's nowhere near the right. same thing that's happening inside of the brain. And just the sheer like availability of it you know, as a, as a preteen or a teenager, it's like, do we really want our first, our first dance with that flavor of the divine to be happening one voyeuristically 
versus first person? Do we want it to be happening with adults versus someone our similar age, right? And do we want it to be like, and just like a movie is not real life, you know, a porn porn is not real sex. Yeah. It's messy and dirty and smelly and awkward. And sometimes there's weird sounds and embarrassing. And all of that is holy. And so like being in the realness of it and the figuring it out. Like I did a I did my first sort of like Ziva intro to sacred sexuality event, a live event in my house a few months ago. And first we just did hours of interviewing. I was asking a lot of questions because this is new territory for me. Most people know me as like meditation for extraordinary performance lady. So like to talk about sex with my folks is a little, you know, edgy. And I was asking people questions and almost everyone there had, had a not ideal introduction to sexuality except for one man. And he was like, yeah, I had a partner. She was my same age. We were great. We experimented. We totally trusted each other. And it was awesome. And I was like, wow, how rare is that? Like how many people do you know who had an awesome introduction to sexuality? Yeah, some, some. And I don't know like how, there is gonna be some figuring out. Like I remember my first experience with sexuality I was 16 and, and my girlfriend was 16 and and it was like the the real tricky part was the condom <laughs> like that was the real tricky part and it was so overwhelming and i'm nervous and i don't know if i'm doing it right had you and practiced beforehand or was your first time no i practiced but it's one okay. thing to practice yeah and it's another thing when it's game it's time. go time <laughs> it's game time game time is different yeah. and i was like hey, uh, 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 uh. Oh man, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think this is gonna work this time. She's like, that's okay. You Did know? she help you? I mean, no. I didn't really. I didn't really like. She didn't know. <laughs> she was a virgin too. You know. I was like, yeah. Didn't really. She didn't even practice. You know. But look, even this is so beautiful. You're the it same was. age. You're yeah. experimenting. You're fumbling. You're learning together. Yeah. Like that to me is like so many people are robbed of that. It was. It was actually really sweet, and I actually had a very. Even though I was very like very hard on myself and i had some conditioning that i think a lot of men have which is like you're the totality of your manhood is wrapped up in how you please your woman mm-hmm. you know which is probably better than some you know ancient medieval misogyny like if anybody saw the movie the last duel where they were talking it's it's a great movie about like 14th century france or something like that where it's like men didn't even care about they didn't care about their performance because they didn't care about a woman's pleasure so i suppose there is some progress in the pressure that men feel because at least they are caring about it but they're only caring about it so that as they their can, own ego as their own ego <laughs> being like being the man who can do it and i had obviously i'm hard on myself whether i'm shooting a basketball or whether i'm trying to put on a condom you know i'm hard on myself <laughs> in all of these different in all of these different ways but uh but ultimately like i think there was a lot of like there was a lot of sweetness and there was a lot of like it was very it was very a whole it was really actually a wholesome way to way to go it got really it got really tough for me when i was in college and i had a girlfriend and she you know she could only climax through missionary sex for like a long period of time with a particular type of stroke and she was just god damn gorgeous and like i was so into her that i couldn't last long enough and and she wasn't into oral sex it just and it wasn't that i wasn't i actually read books and stuff i was like trying to be the best i was like i'm trying to be the aubrey's gonna be the best he's gonna be enough (laughs) 
And sometimes I would just come up short and I would like, I would climax before her. And when I would, she would like, she would look at me and she'd go, ugh. Oh boy. And turn her back to me and sometimes like grab her own vibrator or finish herself. And I was like, just sitting there in my own shame of like mm. not being enough. And that fucked me up for a while. That took yeah. me like years so to get sorry. over that. Thank you. I am. <laughs> Thank you. I'm it's sorry. worked. It's been a happy ending, I will say. <laughs> it's been a very happy ending. The healing was also great and yeah. and there was a lot of great that that's come on the on the subsequent side, but there's a lot of different things that these discussions are not being are not are not being had. Yeah, like know? I'm 42 years old and like why am I just now discovering this stuff? Yeah. You know, and like, thank God nature has given me just this like machine gun, this like fire hose of the world's best experts are just falling in my lap. My roommates, my best friend, my lover. And like, thank God. And, and I feel like I, one of my gifts is taking esoteric information and communicating it in a way that is attractive and accessible to a mainstream audience. I've done it really well with meditation and it feels like nature is now asking me to do the same thing with sacred sexuality. And, and I am happy, you know, I am excited and happy to, to do this, to disseminate it. I mean, you're feeling a call in, in ways too. Mm -hmm. And, but, and I have a little bit of that story of like, really at 42, I'm learning this now, yeah. like not my daughter, not yeah. my son, you know? I, I want a different world for them. I want a different world for us. Yeah, I mean, the very basics. All right, let's talk about basics of being human. All right, maybe we learn how to breathe. Ages three to five are about breathing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. You know all about breathing by the time you're five. We're removing trigonometry. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. putting in meditation. Yeah. We're like, going to take breathe. out calculus and we're going to teach how to do your taxes. Breathing, dancing, and then also like... School, how traumatic are, because I teach ecstatic dance, of course, and it's a big part of fit for service, is training people that it's okay to move your body freely without judgment. It's not a performance. Allow yourself to move, emote your emotions. These basic things, like none of, no, none of the schools at, the, at a school dance, are they like, all right, everybody, like dance is freely. Is your partner going to choose you? Am I going to get chosen yeah, to and dance? and are people going to are people going to laugh at you? How about a little how about a little coaching to everybody? Hey everybody, it's bullying to just point at somebody and laugh because they're dancing and their dance moves don't look super cool. That's a form of bullying and it's going to have long-lasting effects where they say, "Oh, I can't dance and I don't dance." And then you have a human being who doesn't dance and a human being who doesn't dance is not a human being. Yes. Not a fully expressed being. Yes. So like, let's put this intelligence all through the system so that we're building these vibrant humans beyond this realm of shame and guilt and worry and anxiety and performance and all of this shit. And of course, sexuality too. Sex ed in schools is nonsense. It's mostly don't do it. And if you do, all here's all the fucking consequences. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And instead we could be teaching pleasure practices. We could be teaching, I mean, we could be teaching sacred sexuality, like legitimately. Why yep. not? Why would we not have a pleasure practice in the morning? Why would you not want to flood yourself and charge yourself up? Like something that Adam and I say, Adam is my amazing lover and he he'll like, will check in. And this is a simple frame that I think can really help a lot of folks. Be like, what's your level of charge right now? And and even because Vailana has given me consent to share what we worked on. And when I would check in with her, like, what's your level of charge right now? And when she would talk about it, I would, I would notice a little bit of, um, like, if it was low, there'd be a little faint hint of judgment or, or like, 
um, there's something wrong that I need to fix. And I was like, what if we just think about your level of charge? Like we're looking at a thermostat. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's 76 degrees. I could use it a little cooler. I'm gonna take it down a couple notches. Oh, it's 72. I could, I could warm it up a little bit. I'm gonna turn that up a little bit. With no judgment, just noticing that our sexual charge could actually be a thermostat for our body, for our levels of stress, our levels of nourishment, our levels of being feeling safe with our partner. And so of judging, oh, there's something wrong with me because I'm not at a 10 out of 10 all the time. It's like, oh, it's just a thermostat. And then having our own tools and knowing what turns ourselves on so that we can turn ourselves up and down on that dial and then guide and instruct a partner on how we would like to receive pleasure. Because if you don't know what you want, how on earth are you going to be able to tell your partner? Mm-hmm. Right? And and letting go of the shame of like, oh, I, I feel not so turned on right now. And instead making that hot. Oh, you're at a zero? Where would you like to be? (laughs) A five? Can you feel into what a five might be right now? And then just as a mental exercise, can I just imagine what a five might feel like in my body? And then it becomes a bit of a game and it becomes really like you're checking in with each other, um, which can be really beautiful. Yeah. I think one of the the challenges is, is with sexuality in general is there's so much predatory, you know, there's so much predatory adult to children sexual sexuality that exists, you know, whether it's Boy Scouts or whether it's, you know, Catholic school or whether it's whatever, whatever the fucking thing is. It's like, oh, I'm not sending my children to some other random adult that's going to open up this channel because I don't fucking trust it yeah. because of what we said. These wild perversion wild of. levels of perversion that exist mm-hmm. and so rolling it out there's lots of there's lots of difficulties and challenges and actually bringing this into manifest but of course it makes sense but of course the world that we're in is not ready is not also not ready yet because we haven't healed the adults sufficiently and healed the systems and healed the communication lines and healed so many things to allow this not to be potentially toxic yeah fair i mean there are so many dangers and like you even like i have a kids meditation training right so and so ziva kids and so i've even been wary to talk about sacred sexuality at all simply because i have a kids meditation training and it's like well where do we think those kids came from Right. Right. And like, if we're going to wait for another generation until the adults are healed before we start teaching our kids, like, and then it's never, then then it never happens. That generation never actually happens. Right. And so it is a, it's a complex problem, but I think we have to address it from all angles of like, yes, healing the adults. Yes. Allowing the children, giving the children tools to learn about it in ways that are beautiful and empowering and inspiring versus shame inducing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the clear way is just and it's it is awkward in a family. A family dynamic is is inherently awkward and I think one of the the awkwardness is it is because there is there is an erotic impulse to your parents. You know, mm. Freud discussed this at length. It's the Oedipal, Oedipus. it's the it's a variety of these different things that is there and it, and because it's there and it's not supposed to be there and there's all this shame about doesn't of course don't fucking do anything about it right but like i think everybody's like god the kids are like oh my god i can't believe i heard you guys mm-hmm. you know and, and there's this so much that's like wrapped up in this thing that even in a family dynamic which should be the safest place mm-hmm. to do this 
it can also get all kind of crunchy and difficult and the kids don't want to hear it. The parents don't want to talk about it. So then they're just leaving everybody out to the wild world of porn. That's right. To really sort it out. Or their, or their friends who have been trained in the wild world of porn. Mm-hmm. You know, like somewhere something has to shift where we have to like create a new, create a new sexual narrative that allows like healing to begin earlier even prevent the necessity for healing yes by creating like a positive a positive runway yes that people can kind of navigate and of course sometimes there's going to be some shit that happens you know all right but how can we talk about this in a healthy way how can we heal that how can we move forward how can we alchemize this and navigate our way from here to there. As you're saying this, the thing that's coming up is like maybe the need is like family facilitators, like someone who teaches the parents and the kids, someone who teaches the parents how to have the conversations with the kids. Because most people don't want their kids going somewhere else to learn about this stuff, but they're not doing it either. So like you said, it's left to the wild board of porn. So maybe it's the family facilitators. Also a vision that I have that will help us get to the stadium events um, would be starting um, circles. I have this vision like the circles where you get you know a group of friends, maybe it's eight friends or 12 friends, and maybe it's online, maybe it's in person, but you do these sacred sexuality practices. Like you hold a vision. And I, I'm in a group of which is, um, it's called eight. And so there's eight of us. And every six weeks we meet and there's a game every week. And the game could be like, what's one? thing that you'd be proud of but that you don't want to do or you know just simply most one magic thing you'd wins be proud of but you don't want to do yeah i don't know that's a tough one well <laughs> i could give you mine but i'm not going to well um, it's a coming out party what are you proud of but you wouldn't want i can't even think of one ryan can you think of one christian you got one it's like something that so perhaps like a simple would be like I want to write a book. I'd be proud of writing a book, but I don't want oh, to write it. Oh, it doesn't involve sexuality. No, it doesn't involve sexuality. Sorry. Oh, so like my okay. eight group, my <laughs> eight group. I was like, if I'm proud of it, I'm pulling that. I'm 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 pulling that out. <laughs> that trick is not being held yeah, up. To I should have clarified. I should have okay, clarified. Okay, okay, okay. My eight group that I'm in is not sexuality, um, but I'm just giving you context for the vision. So because I'm laying my proud cards first, I'm like, <laughs> I got this, this one down. <laughs> oh, ace. Yep. Here we go. We're gonna get to we're gonna get to the the three of clubs later. You know, you'll see that one, but I'm not so proud of that one. Yeah. Um, so this so every six weeks we have a game and then we pair up. So there's partners, and every day we design our day. So we like write out everything we're gonna do that day in past tense, and then we report back that night. Like, yes, podcast with Aubrey was amazing. Yes, had such an amazing session with Vilana. So and then um and then if you don't do it, then you have to pay ten dollars into the pot. And if you don't, and so by the end of the six weeks, there's like kind of a big pot because people miss here and there. Point of the story is that most magic wins and you get like a couple grand every six weeks. And oh yeah, you're basically designing your day and going after your dreams and being held accountable to mm-hmm. it. So I like the idea of starting a circle, like making an eight group, but doing it with sacred sexuality practices. And maybe it's four couples or maybe it's eight individuals, but people that you know and trust. And you say out loud ahead of time, this is the vision. This is the thing that I want to manifest. And I'm going to use my sacred sexuality practice to strengthen my magnet, to get myself into bliss chemistry, to dance with the divine, to receive those downloads and to place my order every single day. I'm going to do these practices. I'm going to feel as good as I possibly can. And then at the end of the six weeks, you come together and it's like a contest of like who manifested their thing because you know we got to gamify stuff because we're mm. ding dongs <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like our bliss and fulfillment and dreams coming true is not enough of a prize so we got to put some money on the on right. the table and i think what this is 
talking about is how communities grow stronger together. Yeah. You know, like doing this all alone is great. And if it's just you for now, like beautiful. Yeah. Like get in touch with this, start to explore these different practices. You can listen to the podcast I did with Layla where she breaks down different practices for an individual man, different practices for an individual woman, different practices for a couple. Yeah. And then moving beyond a couple, if you wanted to explore other partners or a group scenario, it's a beautiful, like very pragmatic instruction about some of these so if you're interested like well i don't even know what the fuck that means that's one resource that i can point to i'm sure there's many many others but yeah layla's a master she she really is and then you can start these practices and they're very profound but then ultimately when you can start talking to your friends about it and then potentially weaving things together and of course everybody's minds oh what is that a circle jerk a circle jerk there's so many ways in which we subtly push away those things that maybe inherently we know, like maybe there's some value there. Maybe there's something potent there, but let's just smash it down and make it something that's, you know, something that's shameful or or let's denigrate it in some way so that we don't even have to think about this as a possibility. That's right. And so, you know, during COVID, like our circles got smaller, you know, we weren't like hanging out with hundreds of people. It was like sort of a tight group of around 20. And we did a, we worked really hard to gather. We worked really hard to come together. And there was obviously a deeper level of intimacy that was created because it's a smaller group than a hundred, you know, 20 people gathering a lot is different than a hundred people gathering a lot. And, and Layla would oftentimes lead us in, in sex magic and, and it was so fascinating to see what would happen in in a group dynamic like that. Um, like, does it spin out? Does it get crazy? Does it get predatory? Does it get vulnerable? Do people feel shame? And none of that happened. It was actually from those experiences with you know adults, consensual adults, all genders, and and. And then what happened was this level of trust, this level of intimacy. And yes, there's like stories of like, oh gosh, and is it, is it, do I look this and are they watching and do I have enough charge and do I need to perform and, or is this really just me and God? Like all those stories come in. But then at this moment, I mean, can you imagine like 24 people touching God at the same time? And then, and then what happened for me afterwards, this has happened many times, is that immediately afterwards, it feels like the most pure, most natural, most beautiful thing in the world. Where I'm like, yes, yes, 80,000 people doing this together. Hmm. Yes. Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. And, and so just to clarify that vision, it's not like everybody like you were thinking like cocoons and pods like allowing some allowing some privacy so it's not just eighty thousand people because it would be real hard to to prevent some people from being like i got my binoculars out here (laughs) this is gonna be a fucking show let me me go to the circus here and you know yeah so what you know the um, mylar silver things that people wear at the marathon after they run it to keep warm i'm picturing these like beautiful cocoons that are really lightweight and they pack up into a little pouch but you have them on so that it's really quite private that it's really just you and God. And then afterwards, you know, once you feel clothed and covered and totally saturated in bliss, you like open it up and there's like butterfly wings on the inside or, or ISIS wings on the yeah. inside. ISIS yeah. being the Egyptian goddess, not the terrorist. So. <laughs> Good clarification yeah. there. Good mm-hmm. clarification. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the new world that we're, we're birthing. You know, and and look, there's a lot of logistics and there's a lot of things. And, you know, even with the caveats that we said, we understand that you listening may have thought of ones that we didn't talk about and we think about them too. And it's not like we're blindly charging into this, unaware of all of this. Yeah, of course, there's challenges, there's pain, there's stuff that's there, there's issues that are there, maybe 
you know, religious upbringings that are teaching you some things that you're bumping up against, whatever it could be. There's a ton of things. Every person is individual, every person's sexual history and their whole, all the stories and everything is unique. No way we could cover all of that, but try to just take the essence of, of what we're talking about, like the essence of it. The essence of it is beautiful. The essence is a reclamation of pleasure within yourself and knowing that this pleasure is divine as all things are. You know, as as Paul Selig says, who's been on the podcast so many times, God is, God is, God is. Mm. You know, all is God or nothing is. Like this is this is a this is a part of it, this and it's God a particularly too. powerful part of it mm-hmm. that far too long has been repressed, yeah. and the repression has very very ugly results. Yeah, and we've seen that over and over and over again. It's not working. It's, it's not, not working. Fucking working. Yeah, come with me. We're going to use your pleasure <laughs> to change yeah. the world. Let's Come go. with me. We're going to use your pleasure to change the world. See truth. See truth. See truth. Emily, yes. you are a badass. You are a badass. It's been such an honor and such a pleasure. And I have so much gratitude for what you've offered to my life and our relationship and Vailana. I'm sure we'll get to hear her story on a podcast at some point. But just thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for calling me up into my mastery when I want to hide thank you for trusting me with the most sacred thing in your life which is your relationship thank you for opening up your heart to me this week thank you for the brave beautiful work that you've done thank you for sharing this brave message with this audience it's um i'm really excited for the seeds that we're planting right now i feel really excited to watch these take root and grow likewise me too Mm. Speaking of seeds and ways in which people can follow it, you got some opportunities, some goodies. If people are lit up from this, either the meditation side of things or or want to dive deeper into everything that you have to offer, give people a little guidepost to where they can go. Yeah. So we have a beautiful masterclass, which is an intro to this particular style of meditation. Even as we were recording, your audio engineer was like, I've been meditating for 10 years. I've never heard of anything like this <laughs> meditation. So if you want to learn more about that, they can go to zivameditation.com slash AMP. So just Z-I-V-A meditation.com slash AMP. And that's going to take you to a free masterclass that'll give you an intro to this style of meditation. And then if people are like, I want the full thing, I want the ecstatic dance, the paradox process, the sacred sexuality, like let's go. You can apply to work privately with me at zivameditation.com slash private. All right. And so it is. And so so it it is. is. I love you, sister. Thank you for everything. I love you. Thank you. I love you, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Emily Fletcher. I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much. I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.